When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You can't censor us. This is Uncensored Parenting. Talking about the shit, no one else will. You've got questions, we've got, well, we've got perspectives. In this week's episode, you will learn how to begin conversations with your kids around consent, the skills that are required for consent, the impact of power dynamics in consent, and how to redistribute and balance the power. How being reflective is a powerful component of consent and building resiliency. And you won't want to miss Phoebe's best parenting advice. This is Uncensored Parenting. Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we have Phoebe Hall. She is an educator based in Philadelphia. She works as a facilitator and content developer at Yes!, Yes provides anti-impressive, consent-based, pleasure-focused sexuality education to people of all ages. Thank you, Phoebe, for joining us today. We're glad to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Okay, will you tell us a little bit about uh, Yes and what it involves so that our audience knows? Yeah, absolutely. So Yes, or Your Empowered Sexuality, is a Philadelphia-based nonprofit that provides intersectional, consent-based, pleasure-focused sexuality education for people of all ages. So from the littlest of little kids to adults, um, we cover a pretty big range of content from consent, healthy relationships, bodily autonomy, um, talking with kids about food, gender, et cetera, um, to topics that may seem a little more distantly related to sexuality. Um, so for example, consent-based approaches to navigating the healthcare system or making commitments to living in anti-racist ways to um, exploring death through a consent and bodily autonomy framework. So we really define sexuality broadly to be anything that touches on identity, the body, relationships, and we provide virtual and in-person learning opportunities as well as educational content um, in the form of coloring books. They're very cute. Um, social media content and as well as a well, podcast. I've never. Okay, so this is quite a broad range of things to really look at especially around consent why um why such a broad mm-hmm. range like what makes that so important yeah absolutely so we believe that the values of bodily autonomy 
um, and consent really underpin so many aspects of our lives and bring that framework to lots of different areas of learning. Um, and we're really led by the needs that we see in our community and in the organizations that bring us in to do workshops to bring that framework to a wide variety of topics. Um, so that's why we pursue this kind of wide range, but it all has this shared core of consent, pleasure, bodily autonomy, and intersectionality that we bring to everything that we do. So with that broad sense, what is the definition that 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 you would uh, assign to consent then in that realm? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, and I would actually kind of pass it back to you just to kind of get a collaborative thing going. Like what comes to mind for you when you were like, let's do a we'll work uh podcast episode about talking about consent with kids like what's in your mind around yeah I, love, I mean I love this because we this is actually something so <laughs> um new in the last few years to us like we learned this consent will of consent and it was actually quite mind-blowing and acknowledging that you know we have kids of our own and and not raising them with that that consent of like, no, you have choice when it comes to who you hug, what you do, all of those things um, that we, I think it was just one of those things where it's like, wow, like what? Everybody needs to know about this consent because even when, you know, you talk about death around death, like, yeah, we need to have more choice and, and, you know, if we're sick and, and when we desire to go. And I haven't even thought about it to that extent. Yeah. And I think there's this idea of just, there's not, I don't see consent in all of the places. I don't see it in school. I don't see it, you know, even in you know, your immediate family, there's a lot of layers that we need to start peeling back and really giving everybody choice. Cause I don't feel like everybody feels like they have choice when it comes to this and especially kids. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you kind of zoomed right in on choice because that's such an important aspect of consent. Um, and it really is this active process of identifying and communicating about our desires and our boundaries and making choices for our own bodies is a really important aspect of that. Um, and yeah, absolutely agree. There are so many places where consent is super relevant and it's sidelined or it's not happening as consistently as it really should. Um, unfortunately, like school environments, that's often the case. Um, in healthcare appointments, sometimes people don't even realize that they have the opportunity to set a boundary or to set expectations for communicating about consent. So I love that you're thinking so expansively about, you know, where is this important and that that's part of how you're approaching um, engaging with your own So let me ask that's you a huge. question around... Um like consent with, with kids and why it's important to start young. Um, and why, like, I think about moments of, you know, when we tell our kids that, you know, go clean your room because I said so, or even some of those experiences, how that actually impacts their ability to have consenting relationships in the future. Like, can you kind of talk a little bit about that, about how some of the repercussions of taking away choice and consent with our kids at a young age really impacts them later? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the reasons that it's so important to begin engaging with consent with 
even the youngest of young people, is that consent is a set of skills and skills get better when we practice them. So consent involves being able to tune in to our own bodies. It involves communicating um, in a variety of different ways. It involves deep listening. It involves the skill of empathy. It involves interpreting all these different like inputs and pieces of information that we get. So when we're uh, exploring consent with young people, we're giving them and also ourselves opportunities to really build and practice those skills. And they get stronger the more that you use them. Um, consent is sometimes presented as something that you like give or take or you know, sort of in a transactional way. But this like skills framework, I think is really empowering because it's something that we can always be like learning and growing with. Um, and I think you make such an important point, which is that the experiences that we have around consent and bodily autonomy as young people really shape um, our expectations for how those things will play out later in our lives and in other relationships. And certainly that doesn't mean that there are no like rules or boundaries, but it does create opportunities um, to maybe be clear about reasoning or co-create expectations together or to give choices for kids' bodies where that's appropriate. Um, yeah, yeah, does that absolutely. kind of get at what you're and asking? And so what I'm just thinking about like teens these days, what might be some experiences where mm -hmm. consent would be important for them to actually be able to tune into their bodies and communicate and have that deep listening? Like what do you, like what kind of, things would teens go through nowadays that would require this? Ooh, everything. <laughs> Consent is like such a deep part of how we engage with other people. And I think people often think of it in a sexual context, which certainly is relevant to lots of teens that are exploring romantic and sexual relationships for the first time. But I think it also comes up a lot in platonic relationships and friendships. Um, kids experience pressure around, oh, we're all going to do this thing. Or, um, you know, sometimes kids feel that they can't give a, a perspective in their friend group. And I think that power can play out in really interesting ways for teenagers. Um, you know, of course, we think about all of those systems of power that influence our relationships, whether it's race, ability, gender, whatever. Um, but in the context of teenagers' relationships, there's also dimensions of age and experience and social capital or coolness that can really shape um, kids' comfort in tuning into boundaries and then setting them. So I think those kind of platonic relationship dynamics can be a great place to be thinking about boundaries and consent and checking in around like what feels comfortable, what feels good, what is fun. Yeah, because we've had a few experiences uh, when we were both elementary school teachers just around um, even the game of tag and like watching at recess about how somebody just goes and smacks someone and says, you're it and runs off. And then they're frustrated and they're like, I don't want to play. And there's this huge uh, dynamic that's created from that. And it, it, this is that piece here of why it's so critical to teach this in this space here of, of, Hey, when you want to play tag to ask if somebody wants to engage with you, it's like almost as simple as something just like that. Yeah, absolutely. It really can be that simple to be like, hey, stop. 
and ask. (laughs) And I sometimes hear the question of like, well, how do I know if someone wants to do this? And it's like, ask them. (laughs) That's totally an option that's available to you. And it lays a foundation for communication um, and negotiation. What kind of tag do we want to play? Do we want to play by these rules? Who's going to be it? Um, so yeah, it's a, an opening to a bigger conversation. I like the cases. idea of it being a skill because I think about both of our kids and our son has really taken on the idea of like consent and flexing his muscle. And he's gotten really strong with it, especially with us um, because he, he knows that we're so open about it. Um, but he's, he's very strong in just how he says, no, these are my boundaries. I don't want this. And it's a skill. And I think about it in the sense of high schoolers or what I'm, what I'm seeing right now with, with teens is there's so much non-consensual like picture taking of each other or like Snapchatting each other. And like these things where like, it's almost like they're shaming each other through pictures that are not wanted. And I was just talking to a student about it today who was like, yeah, somebody took my picture and non-consensually and now they're doing this with it and sharing it. And so as they develop that skill, do you see that they can like, influence each other or like you know i don't know i feel like it as one person in the group develops a skill can that spread out through their friend groups or through their peers yeah like the benefit what Uh are the benefits of teaching just some and letting it build yeah absolutely um that's a great point about technology with all of these new technologies being that much more accessible especially to young people there is this increase in non-consensual picture taking and recording. And those pictures can be really far ranging in ways that are in some cases kind of scary. Um, But I think what's powerful about building cultures of consent and building skill and consent is that they're incredible tools for justice. Um, They can really help set the tone for how interactions go and for the values that are like centered in social groups. Um, So it would be amazing for every teenager, every human person to have awesome, comprehensive consent education. Um, But even without that, each of us has an opportunity to impart Um, those skills and practices in the relationships that we have. And I'm really privileged to work with awesome sexuality educators and like always learning from how they approach um, consent and how they approach these conversations. I'm picking up language that I want to then take to other settings. Um, So I think it can really have this like amplified effect where some people are developing these skills and it can really encourage more and more people to engage in that way. And it can start to become more of a norm. And that can really be supported by the adults in those students' lives um, by modeling consent in how they interact with kids and by modeling consent in how kids see them interact with other adults, by creating pauses to talk about boundaries, to talk about um communication, listening, whatever. So we all have a really exciting opportunity to make the world a more just, safe, pleasurable, fun place um, by building and sharing yeah, those skills. Yeah, we talked a little bit more. Something that really stuck out to me was um, the power and the justice. Like if we are teaching our young people this consent, like how do you see that supporting 
power dynamics and justice. Will you just speak a little bit more on on some of that? Yeah, absolutely. So power is a really important thing to consider when we're thinking about consent because imbalances in power can really make it more difficult to communicate openly about boundaries or in some cases even to like freely give consent. So I think good consent education includes a lot of thoughtfulness about systems of power and about how our own intersecting identities impact how we show up in conversation with other people. Um, And I think also consent education can be a really powerful tool for um, redistributing power in different ways. So for example, like in the educational context, by um, taking on certain like anti-oppressive practices, you have an opportunity to really share in your power um, and to, in doing that, build confidence and empathy and opportunities to really do things differently. Which really takes me into to the the especially the teen dynamics that we see out there, because I, I found that especially with teens, there's almost like there's a desire for power and it's almost done in a mm-hmm. non-consensual way versus, you know, being very attuned to our own bodies and in a more consensual way. And I just think about like why this is so critical for teenagers, um, you know, to and to decrease the idea of bullying, to decrease, um, you know, cyber bullying, just these power struggles that, that teens get into um, that, that really don't need to exist, but we've created by not teaching a culture of consent. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking those dynamics so seriously, because I think they are really important. And in my experience working with teenagers, sometimes I hear the sentiment of like, people don't think that my friendships or romantic relationships or whatever relationships are important. They're treated as really trivial, but those dynamics are really impactful and they can really influence um, self-concept. They can influence the dynamics of a school, a team, a classroom. And so that's really important. And I think um, consent education that really is intersectional and takes into account power dynamics, big and small, can be a really powerful tool in starting to deconstruct some of those things. Um, And I think also one of the things that's really powerful about consent education is that it centers empathy. Um, Comprehensive consent has a core of care and curiosity about other people's experiences that I think has the power to carry over to lots of different aspects of how we relate to each other. So like when you say about the care of other experiences and the breaking down of power dynamics, like what would that, what does that look like? And can you give us an example of like how one would break down some of those power dynamics within a consensual interaction? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one thing that, you know, we might consider that we might think about as we are um, negotiating consent. We're deciding what to do with our Saturday night or whatever. Um, 
you might kind of name the dynamics that are at play. Oh, um, the older kids in our group have like X amount of influence. And by naming that, you can kind of identify opportunities to rebalance that. Or you might identify that um, there's kind of a social dynamic at play. Coolness in the context of teenagers can often be like a power dynamic that is really important to kind of navigate and um, engage with. So naming power and how it shows up can be a really powerful tool. Um, and that's something that we can do on an individual level as well. You can really be thinking about um, in relationship with our students or our kids, um, the power dynamics that are at play and how we might um, really name and address that in our conversations. Absolutely. Kind of and I even asking? think about like how this plays out with parent child dynamic, right? Or like your own child, like what does that look like in terms of breaking down that power? Not to say that it's this like free for all, like you said, like you're not throwing out rules and, and those types of things. But I just think about how power dynamics play out when it comes to parents and kids. And maybe you can speak on that a little bit on, on, you know, how, how could we might balance that rebalance that or even what does that maybe sound like in that type of relationship so if my teen is you know wanting to go out but I'm wanting him to stay home to spend some family time together there's a power dynamic there because I'm what I say goes and so how do you know what does that conversation then look like or how could it look like to be more uh, consensual or effective uh, and rebalance some of that power yeah, that's a great question. I will acknowledge I'm not a parent, but I do have some thoughts around this. And I think a framework that can be really interesting to explore is one that's rooted in um, kind of a balance of rights and responsibilities. Like what are our shared responsibilities as people that are in a family together? Um, I think that can be a really valuable framework for thinking about like what are the core issues here. Um, and I think it can be valuable for parents to unpack what the core idea underpinning what they want from their child's behavior can be. Is it about safety? Is it about um, this other value of family time, for example? Um, and if you're not able to get to that core thing, is it possible that it's about control? <laughs> is it possible that it's about, hey, I said so, and I want to be like heard saying that? Because that might also be something that's worth unpacking. And especially with older kids, there's some value in really co-creating expectations together. Um, young people have, I think, a huge capacity to be reasonable that's often really um, discounted by our society. We talk about teenagers like they're just off the handle and difficult. And our goal sometimes is framed as just like steering clear of the wreckage and like minimizing the damage of those years. But teenagers have, I think, a real capacity to balance um, different needs, different values. And I think co-creating expectations and boundaries together 
can be a really powerful way to help everyone's needs get met, respect those shared responsibilities that you have, as well as the distinct responsibilities you have as a parent and a child, um, while also providing an opportunity for age-appropriate independence and privacy. Because of course, you both know it's developmentally super appropriate to want to establish more of an independent social life and to start differentiating your identity a little bit. Um, doesn't make it any easier, I'm sure, as a parent yeah. to navigate that. Yeah, I, this, is, this resonates with me big time. My son is is 13 and he definitely is establishing his independence. And, you know, it's that time of his life where he like, he wants to be with his friends. Like his peers are really important. And, but, but there's also this component where I, I do also acknowledge that he very much will, if, if I say, Hey, I would love some family time. He'll be like, okay, I'll give you some, you know, it's, it's, they have the ability to do that. It doesn't always have to be a power struggle between you and your team, you know? Mm-hmm. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So if families haven't like mm-hmm. talked about this with their kids, this is like the mm-hmm. first time they're even like becoming aware of consent within, um, I don't know, any kind of relationship. Where might one start? Uh, where might a parent start if practicing. they want to Yeah, start practicing? Like where where would you suggest starting? Yeah, that is such a great question. And I think often... Um, parents are kind of under the impression that you get like Mm. one big talk where you have to cover all things, sexuality, consent, puberty, whatever. I think that's probably the paradigm that a a lot of us grew up with as well. Like you get one big talk from your parents and then that sets the tone for everything and all the other learning has to happen somewhere else. Um, But I would really encourage parents to um, work from a framework of like little and often and very integrated into your day-to-day life. It doesn't need to be something that's built up and separate. It can be something that's very, very, um, a part of your day-to-day interactions. So at the dinner table, oh, I'm done eating. Oh, does your stomach feel full? Like just an opportunity to pause and say, yeah, let's like check in with your body about that. Or, oh, I'm noticing that you look uncomfortable or you look unsure, like what questions do you have? Or let's pause and like talk about it. There are so many moments throughout our day where we have an opportunity to start like building and practicing those skills. So whether it's pausing to listen to the experience of your kid's body or whether it is creating a moment to really intentionally communicate or whether it's offering choices. So in the context of your son, um, hey, you wanna go out, that's great. Um, can we pick a time you know, this week where we can have like really dedicated family time and like really practicing that back and forth of, we have these different needs, how can we 
support each other and meeting them mm, in a collaborative way. This part. Like that's the biggest thing is that we all have different needs. Teenagers have different needs. Parents have different mm-hmm. needs. And I just think about how beautiful and powerful it can be if we're working together to meet both of those needs versus just taking it and expecting it to be taken care of or given to us or Yeah, it's great practice, I think, for people of any age, too, to tune into what those needs are and practice communicating about them, whether it's like, hey, I need a minute before I respond to this, or, you know, this chore chart that we're using isn't working, like, I need a minute to really, like, rethink it. I think that can be a really valuable thing. And it's probably very valuable, too, for kids to see their parents practice that skill, Um And that's also a really important aspect of engaging with consent with our kids. They pick up so much by osmosis and by observation. And so you have an opportunity to really show that learning and your own skill building. And that that's huge. Um, Yeah, especially because I hear you saying like this really is creating an embodied experience for them just in terms of pausing to say like, you know, oh, your body's full or I'm noticing you're uncomfortable. Those things are teaching them to actually pay attention to what sensations are happening in their body because if they don't have those, they actually can't communicate to another person like what they're needing or even be in a consent space of consent because they're not aware of actually what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also such a great foundation for building empathy with others too. If you're able to kind of connect with your own physical and emotional experience, that really gives you a foundation to then create space for others to do the same. Um, And that could, could then very well go on to notice in their friend group, oh, let's like pause for a minute. Like maybe we're not all on board with this plan. and what a cool skill to have because it's not easy. And I'm sure we've all met plenty <laughs> yeah. of Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I being one of them at <laughs> some point in my life. <laughs> I like that idea of modeling it, though. And and with little things, you know, I, I was even reflecting just now on, like, you know, asking our daughter, like, can I give you a hug goodnight? You know, just little things like that. It's just like she's she's always like, of course you can. Like, why would you be asking that? You know, but it's that idea of like just planting that seed and seeing what comes through. And even to the point of our relationship of like, hey, can I give you a hug tonight? Or may I give you a kiss? Like those little things that is modeled in front of the kids, they're going to soak it up, whether it's even directly to them. If you're just doing it between parents, they're going to see that interaction and just attune to that and start, you know, molding to that piece as well. I also think like it's this idea too of normalizing. I think as a mother, I I I literally in my motherhood felt like I had no choice at times. Like I always had to be available and on it, right? And so when my son was young, it was like even if I wasn't feeling the greatest or I wasn't maybe in a space of like, oh, I want to snuggle, I did it anyways because you know, I'm a mother. And now I'm acknowledging this piece of like, it's okay to sometimes not like be available for snuggles all the time, unless you do want them, right? I mean, I could even think about like, 
you know, I would love a hug, but maybe, you know, some snuggles in an hour or something like that. Um, And being okay with that, normalizing that we don't always have to be on Mm -hmm. as parents, um, especially around consent. Like, or I mean, we have to be on with consent, but I mean, not always on with sacrificing our own, um, our own sensations, our own body, uh, you know, as a parent, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, that's such a great message for your kids to take in too, because it empowers them to set those boundaries with future partners, for example. Um, and it's a really powerful thing to see the adults in your life say, I can love you so much and also look out for my own boundaries and seeing those two things together. Wow. Like what an amazing foundation for healthy relationships down the line. That's also like such a beautiful example of um, the like active process of consent as well, that it's not just like a static yes or no. It can also be like, Ooh, cuddling feels like a lot right now, but I'm so excited to give you a hug. Um, and that communication is really valuable as yeah. well. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, and and I love the point that you bring up of like, if we teach them that and they see that, it is going to be powerful in their relationships with others. Because mm-hmm. if I'm always like sacrificing my own needs and you know there's no boundaries and you know they are they're always getting that they're gonna expect that in their future relationships and that that's also going to be causing you know a lack of boundaries and frustration and so yes yeah wonderful so just thinking about now like let's say that you have kind of talked to your kids about consent or they're aware of it and they've had some practice with it. It's little and often. And your teen is in a more romantic relationship with someone. How might you go about, and there may be, maybe your teen is interested in engaging in some type of sexual experience with this partner. What, how might you have this conversation around consent or talk to your kids about this so that they can uh, be consensual in their interactions, but also make sure that they're creating relational safety for themselves? Yeah, that is such a great question. And I think one of the first things that would really support good communication around that is being really clear that shame is not part of like the conversations that you want to be having with your kid about sex and sexuality. There's so much shamey messaging in society more broadly. So laying that foundation with your child right off the bat that like sex and sexuality can absolutely be healthy, fulfilling, normal, exciting, pleasurable parts of our lives. And that shame is like not part of how you want to approach those topics with them is a great kind of first step um, in opening up lines of communication. Of course, it's easier said than done because a lot of us have our own baggage from years and years and years of living in, in our case, like mainstream American culture, but really like doing that work to challenge shame and to bring a sex positive attitude, I think is a great kind of first step. 
I would also um, really encourage kids to be reflective about like, what kind of partner do I want to be? Like, how do I want to show up in these relationships? Um, Because I think consent really goes hand in hand with these other healthy relationship practices, communication, listening, honesty, care, all of those things are really bound up in consent. Um, Sometimes in school settings in particular, consent is framed as like a liability issue where it's about like, what can you get away with before it's going to create a liability issue? But I love this framing of like, well, how do we want to show up for other people? Can we show up through a lens of care and healthy relationships and empathy? And I think using that framing can be really powerful because teenagers are doing this really challenging and important work of navigating like, well, who am I in relationships and how do I want to be and what do I want to get out of them? And really supporting that thinking and those conversations can be super valuable. I would also um, really encourage parents to think about empowering their child's no's and also their yeses. Um, Oftentimes we talk about like, oh, you don't be afraid to say no to this. And that's so important. It's amazing to give an empowered no that comes from an understanding of your boundaries and your comfort. It's also awesome to give an empowered, informed yes based on what you're excited about and what feels good and what feels like worth exploring. And really naming both of those things is important. I think can also dispense with this kind of shame um, that often exists. And I would pair that too with really like open, uh, frank discussion about some of the practical stuff, right? Like safer sex practices so that they can really be making informed choices and be operating from a place of like, okay, I know what's going on and I can really tune into what I'm interested in, how I want to show up, what's important to me um, and the kind of partner that I want to be. Wow. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is blowing my mind because consent is not just about requesting and getting or like serving and, you know, it, it really is a bigger mm-hmm. dynamic that you're really actually helping me become more aware of. And the bigger dynamic here is, is knowing how we want to show up, how we want to give ourselves, how we want to have boundaries. But we also live in a society where it's like this no thing has become, can be aggressive and can be strong. And we don't empower people to be a full yes. Like, yes, I want to do this like that. And that feels juicy if you can Mm -hmm. say yes. And it's a full yes. We've kind of gotten into this just knows. And I really love that we're talking about like teaching them to be in a full embodied yes and be excited for their yes and empowered with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The no's are so important and so valuable. And yeah, I love a good no. Yeah. Love someone setting a boundary and saying what yep. you don't want. That's amazing. But yeah, that yes is really important too. And it comes from um, being able to dispense with shame, being able to tune into desire Um, and also feeling like safe to express, um, a desire, uh, a vulnerability or whatever. So, yeah, I, I love that. 
um, that you're yeah. so excited that, about. That whole last sequence there just got like all juicy and like and my heart opened and I was just like, yes to all of this. The shame piece, the how do you want to show up in this space of like that could be used in so many different contexts. Like, you know, just how do you want to show up today in this moment as you enter into this building or as you enter into, you know, whatever this relationship or this new space that you have no idea what's going to happen. Just asking that question is so empowering. Yeah, I mean, I even think about myself, like, had I had this level of attunement of how do I want to show up today, I think I would have showed up differently every day. I think I wouldn't have just done the things that I did, you know, with such a lack of consciousness. And I said yes to things that I didn't want to do, or I said no to things that I wanted to do. And it's like, you know, it brings this element of, of, power essentially when you're so much more aware and you're you're in your power if you you know and if we can teach kids like teens like you're in your power if you choose to show up the way you want to show up today imagine how different relating would be for young people and young adults and adults (laughs) yeah absolutely and how awesome too to have adults in the lives of young people that will support this big range of choices and ways of showing up and say, I've got you. I'm here to talk about this stuff. I know it's important. And I'm like taking your social and emotional Mm -hmm. life seriously. Like, let's talk about it. Like that's, that's such a cool thing. And that's something that we have the opportunity to give to young people, even if we didn't get it ourselves. I think about experiences I've had with people in my life currently that create that care for me and show up for me. And it feels so much better that way. And why not teach our young people that? Yeah. And I, I, it's almost like an invitation to parents right now, because, you know, not everybody has these skills like this might be the first time somebody's hearing about how to practice this. And I feel like there's like this power of just sitting down with your kid and saying, listen, I heard this thing and I'm going to start trying it. And I'm wondering if you are willing to try it with me and we can practice this skill together and really practice our yeses or our noes, how we interact with each other just in relationship through this week and see what happens and have a debrief at the end. Yeah. Oh, I love that because it is such a practice. I love the idea of debriefing and checking in as well because the reality of consent and boundaries and communication is that sometimes we get it wrong and we do things that can inadvertently harm people or we realize, oh, I didn't know that was a boundary and now it is. And like, we've got to talk about that. Um, So really setting that pattern with your child of like, we're trying this together, let's debrief. Or here's something that I'm working on and I want to hear how it's landing with you, I think is so... um, important in helping young people build the skill to do that later on and to be able to like recover and repair when communication gets a little messy or when we um, maybe do something that inadvertently causes harm. So I love that idea of like, hey, I'm learning this new thing. I want to try it together. Like let's practice and then let's debrief. So amazing. And I think it speaks to, to how consent is an active and ongoing process. 
It's not something you can do once and then be like, we're good. We, we did the content. Um, check. <laughs> we're done. Um, so that idea of like checking in, debriefing, like how did that conversation go? Or like, how did that feel? Or, hey, now that we have tried this for a little bit, like what's working or how could I communicate differently is such a great exercise. And it's valuable, I think, for kids to see the adults in their lives engaged in a process of learning. Um, and what a way to share Absolutely. power too, um, to say, Hey, we're doing this together. I care about your experience of it. Like Absolutely. tell me how it's and going. It creates the resiliency, which is what I feel like we're seeing that kids may not have enough of currently because of everything that's been going on. This would create that resiliency because even if there is a breakdown, there's still an opportunity to repair and they feel safe doing it. And that really is what what helps you move through repairs is feeling that. And so that's definitely developing the resiliency that, that we're so needing these days. Oh yeah. All of us. Absolutely. Because having processes of accountability and repair is hard. It requires deep reflection. It requires strong communication. It can require challenging really long held beliefs that some of us have about goodness yeah. and badness and all these other like really big expansive concepts. So to build the skill early of, Oh, I like know how to apologize when I hurt someone, or I know I'm like safe to give some feedback or wow, my parents like care enough about my experience that they'll hear me. If I say, um, this was really challenging for me or whatever. Like that's, that's huge. And I like that word resiliency. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, Phoebe, this has been so great. Thank you. And, um, okay. So we ask this to all of our, uh, guests on our show, but what is the best parenting advice you can give parents around consent? Oh, such a great question. And I'll say again, I'm not a parent. And I know parents get so many competing messages about like what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but something that comes to mind for me around this question um, is starting with you and your own work. Um, I think so many of us had an experience of like not so great consent yeah. education, yeah. if at all. Yeah. 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 Never. <laughs> Maybe never ever did we get consent education. Um, and so many of us are carrying around um, certain baggage or certain beliefs about boundaries, communication, consent. Um, but we have an opportunity to do things differently in our own lives and in the lives of the kids that we work with, live with, care for, care about. Um, so starting with your own process of reflection and really like naming for yourself what comes up, I think is a really important first step in doing things differently in the lives of your kid. Um, that can look like noticing, oh, okay, like I'm comfortable with boundaries in this setting, but the idea that you can have boundaries with your mom feels really weird to me. Like, I don't like that idea. Like that's such an important thing to name and start unpacking um, so that you can do right by yourself and also by your kid. And that's not a process that has to happen alone. Um, there are so many people that are in that same process of learning and unlearning. So start with you, 
but don't feel that you have to go it alone. Wonderful. And if parents feel drawn to get in contact with you or need support or resources, where might they find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So you are so cordially invited to visit our website, um, yourempoweredsexuality.org. There are resources there. There are um, ways to contact us. Please bring us in for a workshop at your school, your work, your community organization. We'll come talk about consent with you and your kid right at your dinner table. Um, So those are all great options. You can also follow us on social media at Yes to Consent. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, And also, if you're in the market for a supplemental podcast, check out our podcast, What is Sex? We answer real questions from young people and they get pretty, pretty juicy, (laughs) pretty interesting. Lots of learning for children and adults. (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) Awesome. Wonderful. Phoebe, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Uncensored Parenting. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Uncensored Parenting Podcast. We're out. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.